theyeshiva.net. Let's continue another paragraph inside. We have a lot to explain still, but I want to learn another paragraph inside. Tafmem Dalit Amid Aleph, page 87. Now we can understand what it says in the Haftar of Vayigash. Kach Lecha Eitz Echad. Uksoiva Lovely Yehuda. The Haftar of Vayigash is Yecheskel Perik Lamed Zion. The Navi Yecheskel, the Prophet Yecheskel, lived at the time after the destruction of the first Beis Hamikdash. In his prophecies, he begins his prophecies al Nahar Kvar, Ani I'm in exile by the river called Kvar. And he begins his prophecies, Maisa Merkava, and the rest of Sefer Yecheskel. The Aftar of Ayigash is the following prophecy. Yerubayna Shaloylam tells Yecheskel, take Eitz Echad, take one tree, one branch, Uksayva lovely Yehuda, write on it, this is for Yehuda. Take another tree, another branch, Uksayva lovely Yosef, and write on this one that this is for Yosef. This is Eitz Ephraim, the tree of Ephraim. Ephraim was a son of Yosef. So you have here two branches, on each one there's a different name. Here it says Yehuda, here it says Yosef. And then bring the two branches together. Bring them close. Krav Oisim means bring them close one to one. And what happens is, as the Haftarah says, what happens is the two branches are going to uh, morph into, merge into a singular branch. What does this represent? What's the point? They're going to become one. That's the quote of the Pasuk. And when the people will ask you, what is this, Maisa? What is the significance of this? You're going to tell them. For history, for so many years, there was a split among the Jewish people. You had one branch of Yehuda and one branch of Yosef. And what split is he referring to? He's referring to not only the original split. He's referring to the later split. Remember the story. After Shloimah HaMelech, let's remember a little bit of the history here. Yosef is a king in Egypt. He rules. Yehuda is under Yosef. Everybody's under Yosef. He rules. Yosef died, passes away. The exile begins, and then nobody's a king. The Jews are in exile. They emerge as a free people under the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu. They go into Eretz Yisrael, but there's no king. For hundreds of years, there's no king. They're ruled by by shoftim, by judges, by judges over the generations. That's discussed in Sefer Yeshua, primarily in Sefer Shoftim. The first king is Shaul Hamelech from Shevet Binyamin. Shaul fails as a king, as the Tanakh describes at length, and in in, in Shmuel, in Shmuel Aleph. Shaul fails. Shaul ultimately is killed with his son, Yonason, by the Plishtim, by the Philistines. Killed or suicide. And then David becomes the king. David becomes the king after Shaul. This is the first king from Shevet Yehud. David passes away and he's succeeded by his son Shloimeh. Shloimeh becomes the Melech now. This was a unique period of Jewish history. The Gemara says, the Medrash says about Shlomo that Kaima Sierra Bashlamusa. Shlomo represents the moon 
in its complete in its complete appearance on the twenty on the fifteenth day of the month. Because if you study Jewish history from Avram to Shlaim in terms of leadership, you have fifteen generations. So Shlaim is the fifteenth, the moon is complete. What happens after the fifteenth day? The moon starts declining. First it waxes and then it wanes. From Shlaim Amelech till Tzitkia, the last king of Yehuda, you have again fifteen generations. So that's when the moon goes into exile, the moon is eclipsed. When Shlaimah, but it doesn't be, the decline doesn't begin at the end. The decline of the moon begins already the 16th day of the month. It's already not the same. When Shlaimah HaMelech dies, he is succeeded by his son Rechavim. So you have David, Shlaimah, Rechavim, who was a son of Shlaimah. The people come to Rechavim and they request him, they request of him to be easy on taxes. Shlaimah demanded tremendous amounts of taxes, both in terms of money in terms of people's service because he built up an extraordinary monarchy and he built the Beis HaMikdash and it took a toll on the people so they asked Rechavam to relax the pressure so Rechavam consulted two groups of advisors elderly sages who still served his father and then the younger people who he grew up in high school with he would play basketball with them the elderly said they're right take it easy the young people said, make it harder on them. So when they came to Rechavim after three days, Rechavim said, you think my father was tough? You think my father was tough? I will use scorpions and whips on you. So what did they do? They did what Jews do. They created a revolt. They created a mutiny. And they appointed a new king. Who was the new king? Yeravam Benevot, who came from Ephraim, who was a son of Yosef. And he moved to the north. Rechavim remained in the south in Yerushalayim with the Beis HaMikdash. And he moved to the north. And for the next few hundred years, there was a split. Ten of the Shvatim were not under Beis David. Two of the Shvatim, Yehuda and Binyamin, remained loyal to the house of David. The other ten out of twelve Shvatim remained under what's called Malchus Yisrael or Malchus Ephraim or Malchus Yosef, known as the northern kingdom versus the southern kingdom. This, of course, weakened the fabric of the Jewish people because there was a split militarily, politically, and on every level there was a split. And ultimately, when the Assyrian king comes, he manages to exile completely the ten tribes. He attempts also to exile the last two tribes, but Chizkiah, who is the Melech Yehuda, protects it, and he is defeated. Sancheirev is defeated. This is 150 years before Chorban Bayez Rishon. Then with Chorban Bayez Rishon, everybody, almost everybody is exiled from the land by the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, 150 years after the exile of the first ten tribes. So Yechezkel is living in the aftermath of the destruction that happens as a result of the split. So Hashem says, take two branches, one Yehuda, one Yosef, and bring them together and let them become one. And people will ask you, what's the point? So basically you're saying, I'm taking the tree of Yosef, and I'm taking the tree of Yehuda, and I'm creating unity between them. There should not be any more a split between the two. As he puts it in Yechezkel, There shouldn't be two empires. There should be one shepherd for everybody. One shepherd for all the people. This is the Haftarah of Ayigash. Why do we read this in Haftarah of Ayigash? Ayigash speaks about the confrontation between Yehuda and Yosef. Yehuda confronts Yosef. As a result, 
Yosef reveals himself. Yehuda is seeking Yosef. He needs something from Yosef. He's the victim, or not the, the, the recipient. Yosef is the mashpia. In the Haftarah, the sentiment is the opposite. The two trees become one. Va'avdi David is prophesizing about a time that the split will cease. There will be one king, there will be one leader, and the two trees will morph into one. But it's not that there will be one leader and Yosef will be disregarded. Yosef will become subservient. No, the two trees become one. They merge into oneness. Under the leadership of David. Does it say in the Peskel that this, the branch of David, of Yehuda, is on top of the branch no, of Yosef? No, two. It doesn't say that. No, no. There's two separately. You bring them together. Krav Otam. He says, the korav otam echad lechad lechal leetz echad vayula achadim biyadecha. No, yeah. He's asking the trees. Hini ani lekech haseitz Yosef v'nasati. Oh, you mean that? Okay. Hini ani lekech haseitz Yosef asher biyad Efraim v'shifti Yisrael chaverav v'nasati otam alav et etz Yehuda v'asitim. V'asitim leetz echad v'hayu echad biyadi. which is the end of the period. Pirush, what does this mean? Now Yosef is higher than Yehuda. He is the cedar who grows in its height and always adds more and more. Kach Yosef, a love shayachem aseres hashvatim. The same is true with Yosef, to whom you have all the ten shvatim that belong to him. Ruuvin and Shimon and Levi and Yisach, all the ten shvatim with Yosef besides Yehuda and Binyamin. Kamei sham b'shifti Yisrael chaveirav. It says clearly in the Nevuah, it's not just the stick of Yosef. The stick of Yosef represents all the tribes as friends. How do you compare Yehuda as two? And he has ten. No, what's greater, ten or two? So it's not just an issue of quantity, it's an issue of quality. There's something about Yosef that is far more impressive, far more royal, far greater, far more powerful, far larger than the other one. Yosef is the cedar tree, doesn't stop growing. There's growth in Yosef. And that's why he also has the majority of the Jewish people. And that's why he's called Yosef, as we said from the word Hoysafa, from the word Tzmicha, Lohoysef, more and more. And as he explained before, Yosef represents Yesoid, which goes up to Das, Das Elyon, Das Eila, Dakeser, Erez, Balavon, and he's referring to what he said before. In the future, when the two Yosef and Yehuda will unite, and here he says words, they will unite together with the ultimate, authentic unity. Where does this moment begin? It already begins in Vayigash, I love Yehuda. He approaches Yosef. They're becoming closer. The Pasuk in Eif says, Echod be'echod yigashu. One in one will come close and nothing will come in between them. This will only be in the future when they will become synthesized completely. 
Oz, what happens then is Yisala Yehuda Yosef. Suddenly, the Shoirish of Yehuda being deeper than Yosef will be revealed, and Yehuda appear. Yehuda emerges as being beyond, higher than Yosef. Kanal, as we said before, Al Pasuk Eishes Chayil Ateris Baila V'Lachain Oz V'Avdi David Melech Al Kal Yisrael. If Yosef and Yehuda becoming one, why is the king from David? <laughs> Let the king be from Yosef. It's not fair. It's not fair. We're really becoming one. Okay, make a compromise. What is it called? A few years. Uh, what's what's Rotation. it? Huh? Rotations. You have Yosef. You have Yehuda. You say no. They're going to become one. There'll be no split whatsoever. But suddenly, David Ve'avdi Dovid, he says again, Ve'adovid avdi nasi lehem lo'aylam. And there'll be complete peace. Why is Yosef not going to revolt? Ich will sein the melech. What am I? Chopped liver? What happened to my dreams? I'm going to be the king. You're bowing down to me. So he doesn't say they're not really one. They, when they really become one, automatically avdi dovid melech lo'aylam. It doesn't become a question anymore. This is the meaning. After Yehuda approaches him and pleads with him, Yosef can't contain himself. He sends everybody out as bhisvada, as he confesses, as he makes known who he is to his brothers. That moment was a moment of grace, even before Mashiach, many years before La'asid Lava. It was a moment when Yosef and Yehuda experienced complete synthesis and oneness, that the Echad became one with the Echad. Echad be'echad yigosho. Omevi Echad be'echad is, of course, a phrase from Kegavna in Zohar, that's when he say Friday evening before Baruchu, one became one. Question. Yes. Could you quickly go over again the reference to the Eishes Chayel Ateris Bailam? How that parallels this? Is it Kunduelagalachas? I'll stay the glaim. No, the glaim. I'll stay the glaim. I can do. No, I don't want to slow up the action. I'm sure you went through it before. I just that doesn't mean we understood it. On the seventh inning, you have to start giving tests here. So there's a Gemara, there's a Gemara in Mesech Shabbos. There's a Gemara in Mesech Shabbos where it's a Daf Peches. It's a very famous, the Gemara, the Gemara discusses the Pasuk in Yisroi. By Yisyatsvu Betachtes Hahar. The Jewish people stood below the mountain. Grammatically it should say they stood near the mountain. Neged Ahar, Ahar. Not Tachas Ahar, not under the mountain, below the mountain, Tachas so the Gemara famously brings it. Avdimi says, "Malamed shakaf aleim akadosh baruch hu harkigigis." Hashem took the mountain and he placed it over their head like an overturned vat. Gigis is a vat, a huge barrel. He places the mountain on their heads like a barrel, a barrel that's overturned, and he says, "Imatemekablam esatayra mutav vimlav poiteik furascha." If you accept the Torah, great. And if not, this will be your burial place. And that's why they accepted the Torah. They were under the mountain. 
So the choice was Torah or death. That's one way to get people to agree. An offer they can't refuse, right? We'll make them an offer they can't refuse. Okay. So uh, when people do the same today, they take a mountain, they put it over their children's head, or anybody's head, and they say, if you accept, good, and if not, you'll die. They could point to a Gemara and say, God did the same thing. Omar Rava, Rava says, Mikan From this Maim Chazal we could learn that the whole Torah was forced down Jews. Moidah, Rabbah means, Moidah means, Yemaisa Moidah, if somebody coerces you to sell, a mafiosa nick coerces you to sell your house, and you have to do it because the alternative is the cemetery, living in the cemetery rather than moving into a basement, you're moisa moidah, you take two witnesses and you say, by the way, between you and I, I never wanted to do this, and one day you could claim it in court. Mikan moidah, rabbi from here we learn that the whole Torah was forced down their throat, it was coerced. They would have necessarily, not necessarily would have accepted it. It was forced upon them. But the Gemara continues, Hadr Times of a Chashverish, they finally accepted it willingly. That's why it says in the Megillah. What does it say in the Megillah? Kimu v'kiblu. Aleim. So the Gemara says, Kimu ma'ashe kiblu kvar. What they once accepted, they finally affirmed. They said yes. We agree. That's the end of the Gemara. At first glance, it's very strange. The whole thing is very strange. First of all, you have the question of Taisvis. Jews already said on Hesiv and Nasiv and Nishma. Why on Vavziv and will you put a mountain over the head when they already said yes? That's the big question that Taisvis asks. It was unnecessary. Regardless of that, even if it was necessary, What's the point of forcing somebody into a relationship that they don't want to do? And the only reason they're doing it is because you're threatening them by death. Imagine if Matan Torah is compared to a chuppah, to a marriage, if somebody would propose this way. You take your girl and you put her under an elevator. And you say, if you say yes, good. And if not, the elevator is coming down on you. Of course she'll say yes, but you understand what that marriage is going to look like. What type of relationship is going to look like. The bigger Chiddush here is, how long did it take from Matan Torah till Purim? So the Jews had to go into Eretz Yisrael. As we learned in the Gemara, they were 480 years before Binyan Beis HaMikdash. And then the Beis HaMikdash was another 410 years. And it was 480 years from Yitzhiya Smitzayim from Matan Torah till the first Beis HaMikdash, plus another 410 years till the Churban Beis HaMikdash. And then 70 years later was Bavel. So you have 480 plus another 400 is 880, plus another 10 is 890, plus another 70 is 960 years, almost a full millennium from Matan Torah till Purim. A thousand years is a lot of time. All of Jewish history is uh, 3,300 years. A thousand ta- years is a third of Jewish history till today. Matan Torah happened 3,300 years ago. This is 960 years, almost a full third of Jewish history was completely forced, completely good. They weren't interested. You forced us into it. And Rabbi says, therefore, for a thousand years they had a good excuse. I'm not interested. You forced me. Don't hold me liable. There's something very strange about this. How do we understand this? How do we understand this? So this is something the Mepharshim struggle with a lot. We once spoke about it in another, uh, another moment, I think, Seistosis, a whole different explanations about Kafaleh Markegigas. Here I want to bring up one point as a prelude to explain, at least partially, the Nakuda here with Yosef and Yehuda.
So what's really deeper? What's deeper? Is it deeper to find yourself in truth? Or is it deeper to lose yourself in truth? What's, what's to be encouraged? What path is a greater path? So as we've been explaining in the Shiurim, Yosef is higher than Yehuda Bizman Hazah. Or to put it in the Oasis of the Maimar, Ava is much more compelling than Bittl. When I'm passionate about something, in other words, when I feel good about it, in other words, when I feel realized through it, when I feel that this is meaningful, I feel the growth that happens through it, you can't compare it to surrender. Surrender is about obedience. Surrender is about self-forgetfulness. Regardless of what you feel, this is the right thing to do. What we would call in our jargon, Kabolas oil malchus shamayim, accepting the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. A yoke means it's a yoke. If this is the yoke you have to carry, sometimes it gets very heavy and you say, I want to throw off this yoke. This is, I'm yoke. I'm accepting this yoke. Could you compare that to somebody who feels the tremendous growth of this work and therefore there's an inspiration, there's an enthusiasm, there's gusto, there's fire, there's passion and there's oomph. In self-realization and self-expression, there is fire. You're setting us up. Towards? <laughs> You're going to turn it upside down. I got it. I got it. And it unleashes your deepest recesses. I am there. I am present. When you create a burden on me, you're telling me, I don't care about you. It's not about you. It's about whatever. You're serving your God, your nation, your country, your family, your, your company, your boss. Whatever the authority is, a good authority, a great authority, a horrible authority. But the point is, the common denial, even if it's a great authority, it's not you. You can't fully show up. You show up with your actions, you show up with what you have to do, but ultimately there's a yoke. There's a difference between and doimim. Here I'm growing, and here I'm silent. It's like you'll actually tell somebody, be quiet. <laughs> I'm not asking for your opinion. Doimim, be quiet. That's the point. It's about surrender, not about voicing your emotions and your feelings. Yeah. As I said, take an example of a marriage. You don't need to go very far. Take what what if you can have a, if there's two paths in a relationship, which one would you choose for yourself? Which one would you choose for your loved ones? A marriage in which there is surrender, obedience, and self forgetfulness constantly, or a marriage in which there is so much self expression and self realizations and self discovery. Self discovery. You have a partner who brings out the best in you. Who empowers you? I have a two therapists here who deal with this all day. <laughs> what? And a doctor who deals with the consequences when it doesn't work. <laughs> so I'm a little trapped here in an environment of. Uh... <laughs> Very good. Huh? This is the man. He, he's the master today, yes. So, obviously, so you have somebody who empowers you, who brings out the best in you, who brings out your tzemeach. How could you compare? Now, again, every normal person understands you're not always growing. 
Every relationship requires surrender. You can have the most favorite job in the world that you love with every fiber of your being. You're from those lucky people who go to the office or wherever you go to work with passion because you love what you're doing. But you all know that some days you're not in the mood. (laughs) You're under the weather. And those days you're going to have to be in the mode of doimim, of surrender. My feelings are here, my feelings are him. No marriage. The best of the best can be blissful 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, the famous expression, tainuk t'midi enoi tainuk. Any that tainuk that's always consistent becomes not pleasurable anymore. There's ups and downs and there's fluctuations. Where is that from? The expression. Thank you. Yes. But, uh, but, so everyone understands, everybody understands that in the best of situations, the best relationship there's moments that require surrender, self-forgetfulness. Nothing could be sustained that way because we're not saints and we don't always operate on a maximum level. You may not even feel everything about yourself always. People get sick physically, people get sick emotionally, people get down. We all understand that. But when you talk about two modalities, two paths, one in which you feel completely empowered and expressed, and one that's about surrender, Yosef transcends Yehuda. And when you speak about Avodah Hashem, one that empowers you, in which you feel the growth, and one in which you say it's about surrender, of course Yosef is higher than Yehuda. But suddenly here he says, it turns around. Yehuda becomes higher than Yosef. Why? Because he was always higher than Yosef. The difference is it was a secret. It couldn't be revealed. In a revealed way, Yosef had to be higher. It was a secret. It was b'machshavah. Soif Eretz is not Earth precedes heaven. Inspiration precedes action. Eretz is the concrete, lowly action. Shamayim is the vision, the spirit, the energy, the, the, the gusto behind it, the heavenliness behind it. It precedes earth. But really, really, really on a deeper level, Eretz Masculinity, femininity. Femininity throughout history is the recipient of masculinity. Makabal from the mashpia. But really, Aisha Schayel Atered Bala. Really, the woman one day becomes the crown over her husband. As somebody once said, with my wife, I always have the last two words. Yes, dear. Aisha Schayel Atered Bala. The woman becomes the crown of the husband. That's Malchus, that's Yehuda, that's earth. That's femininity, that's royalty versus Yosef, that's doimim, it's Eretz versus Yosef who represents Saimeach, Ze'er Ampin, Ave, Yira, Midasayisoid, Shamayim, Ish, Mashpia, Mashbir, Saimeach, Chai versus Yehuda Doimim. Yeah? So where do we find this interpretation? of Eish Eschayel Ateres Baila, meaning that L'Ossid Lovo, in fact, it's the feminine force that will be preeminent. That's a big theme in the Balatanya's Torah. It's rooted in Kisve HaRizal, very briefly. That Isha is Malchus, and L'Ossid Lovo, there's going to be Aliyah HaMalchus. So, so if I wanted to see this elaboration in... You can email me, I'll send you the sources in Kisve HaRizal. I would be fine with the uh, send you the with, with the Balatanya. Yeah, yeah, in a lot of places. A lot of places. Now, I want to quote again his words to remember the structure. He says, Soif Maisib Machshavat Khila, Machshav is Khesh of Ma. 
tachlis habitl, which is chachma koyachma. There's chachma ilah, which is koyachma. There's chachma tato, which is malchus. There's yire ilah, there's yire tato. Yire tata is far lower than yire ilah, but la'asad lavai, we will see that the source of yire tata is higher than midas, because it's rooted in yire ilah, because really bitl is higher than avavayire. And that's why in the haftairah, the two trees become one, and va'avdi david malach alayim la'ilah. In a world where you're separated, where you feel yourself separated from God, self-expression is far more inspiring than self-surrender. Because in self-expression, the I feels fully present. And in surrender, the I surrenders. And when the I surrenders, the I cannot be fully present. On the contrary, the message is, regardless of you, it's time to surrender. So yes, we understand the value of it. There's no diet in the world that can happen without doimim. If you're always going to be inspired to eat the right things, you're not human. At least from my perspective. (laughs) There's going to be moments when you'll say, somebody once told me, how did he quit smoking? For many years he used to tell himself, ich will nicht. Who wants nicotine? Who wants it? Who wants? Who wants it? Ich will nicht. And he, he was in a, in, a, in a empowered mood. I don't want. How long does he not want? A day, two days. At some point, you get into a bad mood. <laughs> and you need a cigarette, right? You need a cigarette. And suddenly you realize, yeah, I do want. So the theory that compelled the quitting was gone. The whole motivation was, I don't want. I do want. So you smoke. He says, after many attempts and many years and many problems, he came to a new realization. Ich will, yeah? became. I want. Despite the fact that I want, I don't have to do what I want. So that changed him. That changed him. Why? It was real. I do want. Not today, I want in an hour. Not in an hour, in three hours. If my entire commitment is based on how long I want, the moment I stop wanting, it's gone. So everybody understands the value of discipline, the value of committing yourself to something despite your fluctuating emotions about it. And essentially, that's what, when you say, what are you really saying? What are you really saying? You're saying there's a commitment that goes beyond my whims, beyond my emotions. Sometimes there'll be hard days. Sometimes there are rainy days. Granted. But by definition, by definition, the eye is not fully present. The passion is not there. Is there a place for bittel, for daimim avad? But one second. That's true in a world of separateness. In a world of separateness, in self-actualization, I find passion. You know why? Because I have not been ignored. But what about in a world where I can discover that my eye is not distinct from the divine eye? In a world where I discover my complete oneness with Hashem, because Ein Oid Mulvade, the truth is that my very eye is an expression of the infinite light of God. Here, self expression does not become a necessity because myself 
is completely one with the truth. But in a world of separateness, when I speak about obedience, it could sound abusive. Because you don't know yourself yet. So I must nurture yourself and bring it to a place where then when I speak about surrender and transcendence, it's far deeper than self-expression. Not because I appreciate that you're not here and I appreciate that I dominated you, but because what is discovered is the seamless unity that then doesn't require self-expression because the self doesn't have to be expressed because the self is completely one with the source. It is. It is. You want to finish the sentence? You just want to say it is. I was going to say Vanafshi Kaf. Okay, that's fine. It is is better. You don't have to finish the sentence. Come back to Kafalem Harkigigis. That's the story. It's not that Purim something happened. It's like for a thousand years, this marriage was miserable. And then after a thousand years, the woman said, You know what? I'll take you. You're not as bad as I thought. After a thousand years, I decided yet. First, a thousand. It's a whole different word. On Purim, the Jewish people discovered the Geshmak of God entering into a relationship with you without asking. On Purim, they realized their oneness. And because they realized their oneness, they appreciated the beauty of entering into a relationship without the need for them to give consent because there's no separation. There's oneness. Let me give you an example. I'm looking for an example for this. It's in today's day when people speak so much about independence and self-confidence, it's hard to find an example for a subtle idea. But I'll give an example. I'm going to give you an example. <coughs> Let's say, again, it's a very, we live in a very cynical world with a lot of leadership corruption. So it's going to be hard for people to relate to this. But imagine a more idealistic space. Imagine you have a Rebbe or somebody in your life that you trust with every fiber of your being. But it's not just an external trust because you were brought up that way, you were indoctrinated. It's a genuine trust that comes from a very, very deep and authentic place. It comes not just because somebody told you or because you were pressured into it, but because of a genuine appreciation of who the person is. And uh, you would do anything for this person, just like they would do anything for you, out of complete commitment that is based on unwavering love that touches you in your deepest place. A friend, a mentor, a teacher, a rebbe, of that caliber, of that. And it's real. It's very, very real. So, I, I once heard from a yid something. And I always thought about it, because not so, more than the story, his reaction to the story. There's a Yid I know, has happened, his name is Reblebel Posner. He tells me a miser that happened to him. And uh, this was in 1943. How many years later is it today? Uh, 
73 years later, he told it to me last year, two years ago, more than seven decades later, he has a glow on his face from the story. What's the Misa? The Misa is, he, in the early 1940s, there was a Jew known as the Rebbe Rayatz, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rebbe Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, whose son-in-law succeeded him after his passing in 1950, the most recent Lubavitcher Rebbe. He called him in. He was a Bach in Yeshiva. A young, young Bach. And he sent him on a particular shlichus, on a particular mission, I think, to open a yeshiva somewhere. Chicago, maybe. I don't remember the details to open it. And he said he already arranged for him to go there. He says, I didn't ask you before. You know why? I consider you a limb of my body. You don't go to your hand and you say, by the way, my brain has an idea that you should, you should go like this now. What do you think? And the hand says, let me go reflect. I'll do some yoga, meditation, exercise, Pilates. I'll go to therapy. For ten years. I'll figure myself out and I'll decide if I want to be obedient to you or not obedient to you. It's not how it works. Why? Because the arm and the brain is kulachat. The organism is one holistic reality. The central nervous system of the brain encompasses the entire body. It's one. The decision of the brain is the decision of the arm. The arm without the brain is a lifeless, unfortunately a lifeless piece of flesh. And it happened once in life, more than once, that the, all the limbs of the body came together and decided enough with the dictatorship of a little few inch piece of jello in my head that decides everything for me. With one, my muscles are stronger than my brain. But ain't clock, I'll destroy the brain. Who is this little, little idiot? Just because he inherited the malucha from his father, knows nothing. It's a shaita. Ben shaita, ben shaita, enough. And the guy drilled open his head and he took out the brain and he threw it in the garbage and he screamed, free at last, free at last. But the end of the story was they had to call in the Hever Kaddisha for Yisgadl, for Yisgadosh, because there was no body left. Because the brain is not a dictator. You are your brain. Your brain is you. Your brain represents your identity. Your brain is what gives you consciousness of who you are. But imagine a person doesn't experience the brain that way. All I hear all day is, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. Vepistu, stop telling me what to do. Adios. And then you realize, who did you kill? You killed yourself. Your brain is not authority that dictates you. The brain is an expression of you. The brain is, brings out who you are. It allows you to be alive. It allows you to have vitality. It allows you to be who you are. It allows the arm to be an arm and the foot to be a foot and the kidney to be a kidney and the heart to be a heart and the nose to be a nose and maximize their potential. So is surrender to the brain surrender or self-expression? So in our own organism, thank God, naturally, most of us don't have these issues. Some people do, and it's takasakanas nafashas. So he looks at this boy and he says, I consider you my aver, my organ. I didn't ask you, I sent you. He looks at me and he says, Nu, can somebody get a better compliment than this in life? I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, interesting. Another person would say, Excuse me, what? Now I'm living for you? You decided something and I'm changing my life? For him, who was the greatest schus in the world, he says, nothing in life 
could come close to hearing those words from the Rebbe. That he didn't have to consult me. Ah, what a compliment. What he sees in me. I'm part of him, he didn't have to consult me. Wow. Where can you have such a schuss in life? But now I ask you a question. Can you say this to anybody? (laughs) Your therapist will say, he's abusing you. (laughs) You have to assert yourself. You have to say, no, who's right? Depends where you are in the world. There's no who's right. Depends where you are in the world. Sometimes you have a relationship between spouses. They're so close, yeah? They're so close. Okay, you have to be careful with this. Again, in today's world, you're not allowed to speak about this because everyone has to be independent. And then, and then, chas v'sholem, you make a decision without me and I'll bring you to court. And who do you think I am? And I'm a nobody, I'm a chopped liver. This is, a, this is just a response to dysfunction. In, in, in an ideal world, sometimes you're so close. Yeah. My decision for you is not abusive. If we really, really have that relationship, so it's mamish, I'm not abusing my arm by telling it what to do. We're taka one. It's taka kulachat. God takes a mountain and he says, I'm giving you taira. The whole thing was forced. Doesn't mean Purim, they said, you know what? From now on, Judaism is, is with volition. Till now, we're, we're, we're exempt. On Purim, they realized, on Purim, they discovered the value of Kafalem Harkigigis. They were Makabal the Kfir. They realized that the Kfir represented the unity that they have with Hashem. You know, this Kafalem Harkigigis doesn't mean I force you into the relationship, it means you and I are inseparable. You, the Maharal says this in his types, in his language, that Kofalei Marhigig is meant to show that it's not like you can accept Torah and you could not accept Torah. It's a mechuy of hametzias. It's You'll tell me, you could live with breathing and you could live without breathing. You could choose, yes, I mean, you could choose to inhale, you could choose to... This is, this, is part, this is true to your system. I'm breathing. Oh, I'm not going to allow myself to be influenced by the ear. Oxygen outside of me. Sorry. And generally this whole idea with food, who came up with food, I'm going to be subservient to nutritious elements, I'm going to eat. I'm an independent person. So you choose not to eat anymore. You choose not to, it would be a nice thing. It would be a nice, you're denying your system, you're denying yourself. So kafalem harkigigis means that on Purim they discovered that what we call forced from another paradigm is not forced. From another paradigm it really means that I cannot choose to be something that I'm not. How could I? I mean, I can decide theoretically that I'm a horse this morning. I'm a cow. Some people do that. Some people decide they're a behemoth and they live that way. No question. But that's only a temporary decision of insanity. Ultimately, you are who you are. So the more freedom, the more you're aware of who you are, the more freedom you have. Because the greatest freedom is to live the life of who you really are. The worst, the, the most horrible thing is when a person doesn't know who they are and they're constantly groping in the dark trying to figure themselves out in the name of freedom. So what happens, what people call freedom is really a form of slavery. 
because I'm searching, I'm searching, I'm searching, I'm searching, and in that search, I may be betraying myself again and again and again. The clarity of who I am allows me the freedom to be able to say, let me live who I am. And no, I don't have the choice not to be. I don't have the choice to be that which I'm not. I don't. I am who I am. But that's the matzah the Roshul Kudus. He gave us something a thousand years, I would say ahead of schedule, a thousand years before we could realize. So for a thousand years, he gave us a struggle, Kofalem Harkigigis, that we were not up to at that time. Was that Arthur Was that that he gave it to us before? He wanted us to struggle to get to that matzah? Was that? It's a, it's a process of discovery and realization. Because what happened on Purim? On Purim, it made sense for them not to be Jewish. Because to be Jewish was a liability. Haman said, It was the first time that the, the law, the extermination did not have to do with anything but the fact that you're Jewish. It wasn't territorial. It wasn't tribal. It was simply you were Jewish. As in our generation with Hitler. Naturally, the instinct would have been, who needs it? For the whole year, between the Gzair, which came out, Yud Gimel Nissen, Till you dalit other, you'd give a When the Jews were in jeopardy for eleven full months, literally, with a pending law, a pending edict of extermination, they suddenly discovered a new facet about their relationship with God. So when they celebrated the victory, they went back and they redefined their relationship by Matan Torah, and they said, Ah, they realized that the kafalem harkegigis wasn't forced. It represented the intimate, inseparable oneness between the two of us. Thus, in the process of Avodah Hashem, you have the same process. Yehuda represents submission. Is submission inferior to passion or superior to passion? It's inferior to passion. That's only in the hierarchy of Seder Hishtal the hierarchy of the Mishkan, where... Yosef must be beyond Yehuda. Why? Because with this Tzimeach, there's more life, there's more vitality, there's more self-expression, there's more intimacy, there's more oneness. The emes is, however, that mitzah, the shayrish of Yehuda, the shayrish of Daim. When you look at obedience on the surface, it represents surrender of self. In the shayrish of it, it represents complete oneness. And because there is complete oneness, I don't need self-expression, because self-expression I need if myself is detached, and therefore myself has to be involved in the process, so I should be able to feel good about it, and I shouldn't feel that you are overwhelming me by you, and therefore I need the I. So it's a stubborn resistance to let go of the I. But that's a pathetic state, because I have to carry the burden of existing. And that's the greatest burden. I have to exist. I have to tell my ego, you exist, you exist, you exist. You won't die, you won't die. Which is a form of essential cosmic insecurity, which is part of the process. In the world of la'asid la'vi la'meve yechad be'echad, it's not Yehuda will become higher, oh, now he'll flex his muscles. Suddenly we could appreciate the shorish of Yehuda. We'll be able to see that the doimim even now in the shorish comes from in which the words are not separate from the truth. And because the words are not separate from the truth, you don't need self-expression in order to be able to be self-expressed because your eye and God's eye are really one. 
But I can't talk about that secret if I don't go through Yosef. If you don't go through Yosef, if you don't go through Yosef, ultimately I deprive people from the ability to experience ever intimacy. Why? Because if the system of education is what? The system of education is I don't recognize you before you realize who you are, ultimately what happens? You jump ahead of yourself and that you comes to haunt you and bite you because it's not been nurtured and it remains completely detached from the process. And then the obedience ultimately lacks something very, very profound. So therefore, the journey is Yosef, higher than Yehuda, and then you get to Yehuda that's high, who's higher than Yosef. Let's put it as Klal Prato Klal that we spoke about in the Maimetiko Bachay the Shefer before Rosh Hashanah. One of the 13 formulas of interpreting Torah is Klal Prato Klal. And in Shas, it's a very important sugya. This Klal Prat, Prat Klal, Klal Prato Klal. Many halachas are written in a way of Klal Prato Klal, and we learn out how to deal with it different ways. It's a very fascinating sugya. Ribui Miyut Klal Prat. It all comes from the spiritual idea here. Everything begins with Klal. Klal means oneness. Everything is part of the oneness of God. But existence is about differentiation, prat. You are you, and I am I. An undefined God created infinite diversity. And I live my life, you live your life. And I have my little issues, and you have your little issues, or big issues. This has to do with personality, chemistry, (coughs) composition of your psyche, emotions, intellect, nature of your soul, your nurture, your upbringing, every person with their whole gestalt, everything you bring to this room, or you don't bring to this room, you should bring to this room, everything you come in with, everything that's happening in your heart that you know, and then a million times more that you don't know. And maybe one day, that's the prat. And we live in the world of prat. We live in that world of prat, the world of differentiation, where if you come to me and you say, Rabbi Jacobson, you should move tomorrow to Chicago and open a yeshiva, Right? I say, you could move to Chicago and open a yeshiva. It doesn't work that way. Dictatorships work that way. But dictatorships are going to fail because their motus operando is you don't exist, only I exist. Huh? We still have some dictatorships. They failed in the world, but uh, in some of the places you still have dictatorships. Huh? It failed? It failed internally, but on the surface, for another few years... The, the, the cards, what is it called, the house of cards, still stands. Right. Prat, you have to nurture the prat. You have to nurture the prat. When you're educating a child, take, take a marriage, yeah? Take a marriage. You don't, you don't start with a, you don't You can't start a marriage by saying uh, you're completely one, right? There's no you. You don't need self-expression because who are you? You're completely one. What happens then? It happens, but it doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because you're failing the prat. You're not sublimating the prat. You're failing it. You're ignoring it. Ah, you're introducing a higher vision. When you introduce a higher vision before you introduce a lower vision, it's translated as abuse. Even though in an ideal world it's very meaningful, it's translated as alienation, as disregard, as pain, and it creates trauma. So you have klal, then you have prat. And ultimately, you have the new klal. But the second klal is not like the first klal. The second klal brings the prat back to the klal. 
it elevates the individual with the collective. The individual identity with the klal identity. In the world of Prat, Yosef has to be higher than Yehuda. There is room for Yehuda there, extremely. This is what's called Kabbalah al Malchus Shemaim, surrender, discipline. In any life, as I said, there's Yehuda. Without Yehuda, there's no success in anything. But Yosef is higher than Yehuda. Yosef, Yosef has to be the king, and Yehuda must learn from Yosef. Yehuda gets his inspiration from Yosef. I need to inspire people. I need to teach people. I need to elevate people. I need to empower people. They should be able to experience themselves, their deepest self, in their full glory. And to say, who are you? That's the only model. That's what we saw. The Bistag garnished. Right? It could be. Enoid Mulvadoi. Whoa, 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 whoa. This person is not hearing no Enoid Mulvadoi. What this person hears is, I hate your guts. You're a sick dictator. And I'm a nobody. That's what I heard. I didn't hear no Enoid Mulvadoi. That's what I heard. And that's what I processed. And therefore, forever, my selflessness will be tainted by a self that despises it. And whenever your selflessness is tainted by a self that despises it, you're not selfless, because your self is completely rebelling against it. And when your self rebels against it, you can't even be selfless. Because selfless means that the self is less. Your self is not less. Your self is just hiding, traumatized, and when it emerges, forget about it. There will be no relationship left. The prat must be elevated to the klal. When you have Yosef, when you have Tzaymeach, that inspires the daimim, and the daimim receives from the Tzaymeach, that's the Mishkan. In the ultimate, Beis Hamikdash, suddenly the daimim is elevated. In other words, that commitment of all those thousands of years that often Jews looked at and said, what's the point? When you wake up in the morning today, in the world of Yosef, and you're not in the mood of learning, or you're not in the mood of a relationship, or you're not in the mood of davening, you're not in the mood of a mitzvah, and you do it nonetheless, really it's doimim. On the surface, it's empty Judaism. It's robotic Judaism. Right? There's nothing there. In the shayrish, however, in the shayrish, however, it's the deepest form of a relationship. But in order to appreciate that itself, you need Yosef. <laughs> you need Yosef to enlighten what the depth of the daimim is, and then there comes the time when automatically Yehuda's true shaydish is revealed. When Yehuda's true shaydish is revealed, then of course the daimim is much deeper than the tzemeach. Not because Yehuda flexed his muscles and he punched Yosef in the face. Because the energy of self-transcendence is where there is complete oneness. And when there is complete oneness, then you and I become one. So my eye and God's eye completely merge into one. Which is why in Matan Torah, the order was right. First they were Kalim Midas, yeah. sort of the Yosef, yeah. and then they gave after, because that's yeah. the ultimate goal, to get to Kafalev. Right. right. Put him, the relationship became so powerful, they could look back and they say, ah, ah, wow, thank you for not asking me. Thank you for not asking me. To ask me would have been such a powerful insult. It would have been such a, such a powerful insult. Right? So, uh, so, you know, uh, uh, so let's say you, you have a chassid and a rebbe that have that level of loyalty and level of trust, right? Um, the greatest compliment for the chassid could be that his Rebbe calls him in 
And he says, I think that for the rest of your life, you should go here and here. And he will celebrate that for the, until the end of his life. Which, what do you mean? First go to a counselor, go to a career counselor, you know what they do, and they'll, they'll examine you for 20 years and figure out all your issues, and they'll decide maybe you're good at this. And what's the compliment here? So on one level you could say, oh, if he's brainwashed, yeah, that's a compliment. You know, if the guru tells you. So that's in a cynical world, that's how we say it, right? But in an ideal world where these things exist, and let me tell you, with certain people they exist, even if it's not rampant, then he doesn't feel a greater privilege than this, that you didn't, you didn't ask me, you didn't consult me. In other words, I discover, I see myself in an extraordinarily uh, deep and powerful way that I couldn't even, with my own power, I would have never attributed to me such elevation. Okay. So let's continue so that's the cutting down. What are we talking about? The cutting down of the cedar for marriage. Somebody once came to a rav and he said he wants a divorce. So the rav said, "Why?" He said, "I was looking for a BMW, and I ended up with a Buick." So the rabbi says, the problem is you were looking for a car, not for a wife. So I have to remember that too. Sometimes people are looking for cars, they're not looking for spouses. A car is not a spouse. So, there's a title from the Mezircha Magid. I said it, I think, on Yat Kislev. The Magid says as follows. It says by the Nevi'im in Melachim, there's a Pasuk. Vayihi kenagen hamenagen vatihi alav ruach Hashem. When the menagen started to be nagen. Vayihi kenagen hamenagen. Nagen comes from the word nigun. Song, ballad, melody. When the Menagin became Nagin, in other words, when he started to sing, music is conducive, song and music is conducive for the Divine Spirit. He asked, what is the meaning when he started to sing? Not when he finished, when he started to sing. What's Vayihi Kenagen Hamenagen? Vayihi Kasher Nigen. What's Kenagen Hamenagen? So the Magid says, Vatiyol of Ruach Hashem doesn't mean you sing a song. Kenagen Hamenagen means that the Menagen becomes a Nagen. Nagen is an instrument for melody. It's an instrument of Nagina. When the Menagen becomes a Nagen, when the singer becomes an instrument, in terms, of, in terms of the fact that the instrument has no self-consciousness and the entire identity of the instrument is simply a conduit for the music to come through it and out of it, that's when the Spirit of God can dwell on him. When the menagin, the human being who is a menagin, 
morphs, it becomes a nagain, becomes the violin. Rabbi Huda Halevi said it in the poem, one of the gems, one of the greatest gems of Jewish poetry. We say it on Tisha B'Av. Rabbi Huda Halevi says, Ani which then the song Yerushalayim shall have uh, paraphrase of Yehuda Levi, but the source of Yehuda Levi, Ani Kinoy Lishirayich. I am a harp for your melodies. In other words, Yerushalayim is a shir, and I am a harp on which the music of Yerushalayim plays itself out. It resonates through me. I am the kinner, the harp for the song of Yerushalayim. Ani kinner l'shirayich. Today they sing l'chol shirayich. Ani kinner, but the original Rabbi Yehuda Levi, which is of course um, 12th century, 11th century Spain, is ani kinner l'shirayich. Now, what does the magad mean? What does it mean by yikinagin amenagin? So, maybe share this with you. I once asked a uh, grand, great pianist who played in Carnegie Hall, plays in Carnegie Hall. What is the definition of success? How do you know you're successful? You're sitting by the piano and you're playing. What do you call success? Standing ovation. For how long? (laughs) For 10 seconds? For 60 seconds? For 3 minutes? What's success? He said something I didn't expect. He said success is, I'm in the middle of playing... And I don't feel that I exist anymore. There's no I. I'm not playing. And therefore I'm not deliberating what's next. Because I'm not present. My fingers become the music. I become the music. I am just a conduit for a certain energy of music that works through me. It plays through me. Vayihi he was saying in other words the menagen became a nagen any artist this is true about speakers writers, all artists if they know what they're doing and they're in tuned with deeper deeper spots of the self no success means that you're not there and therefore you're not thinking what do I say next what do I write next what do I play next that's all me versus the truth. Me in contrast to the message. I am saying a message. I got to be entertaining. I got to be engaging. Sometimes I have to say something that makes sense. Usually it's better to say things that don't make sense because then people think you're intelligent. Right? <laughs> That's why we do that over here in the Shear as often as possible. But sometimes it has to make sense. I shouldn't think you're a wacko. You have to have the right symmetry between, between in today's day and age, between humor. And, and substance, because the attention span of most people is less than 12 seconds. So if you stick to one subject for 12 seconds, you lost them. They start texting. So these are all the laws, the laws of communication. And the same is true the laws of writing and playing an instrument, whether the piano or the cello or the violin or the harp or any other form of art. Painting, athletics, whatever the form, everything has its, its art. But that's not success. That's success in the modality of self-consciousness. Real success is, there's no I anymore. The, 
Does it happen often? It can't happen often. Unless you're in a different space. But when it happens, you know it immediately. And you know it because you're not there to know it. And then what happens is, there's almost no I. You become a complete conduit for the energy. And therefore you're not deliberating, you're not struggling. And what happens is, the audience, they may not be so sensitive. So those who are sensitive know the difference. Even those who are not sensitive, they know that there's a level of trust that they experience that they couldn't experience otherwise. Because the person communicating doesn't block the energy. He is completely or she is completely transparent. And because he or she is completely transparent, they allow every person to connect to the truth directly, intimately, without the barrier. Again, to quote the Baal Shem Tev, the Pasuk says, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Anoichi oimed bein Hashem ubeineichem lahagid lachem es dvar Hashem. Moshe says, I stand, in Dvarim, I stand between you and God to tell you the word of God. So the Baal Shem Tev says, it's the Anoichi it's the sense of I that is oimed, that stands between God and the people. It's the sense of anoichi, of ego, of I, that stands, creates a partition, a mechitza, a hefzik, Hashem, that you don't allow people to experience because I insist that I am going to communicate the Dvar Hashem. It's the anoichi that's oimed b'neichem, Hashem. Right? Again, the Baal Shem Tev, Pasuk in Yermiyah, Im Yisasir Ish Bamistarim, V'anoichi loyer enu nu'um Hashem. Can a man hide in the closet and I won't see him? I see everything. Baal Shem Tev says, Im Yisasir Ish Bamistarim, V'anoichi loyer enu. If a person goes into the hiding, I'm still there. I'm there. I don't... But if your ego takes over, ego is easing God out, ego, I won't be able to see, I'll be able to see you, but you won't know that I can see you, because you're not allowing the relationship. And then he said, <laughs> No So Yaakov Avinu says in Parshas Vayetze, what does he say? God is here, and I didn't know. How did he know God is here? So the Welt says, because the rocks are fighting with each other. And only in a shul can even rocks get into a fight. If God wasn't here, you know, if you ever go to shul board meetings, you know they fight over the rocks. But the Panam Yafis says, you hear the problem? In Hebrew grammar, you have a problem here. You don't say, God is here, and I, I don't know. Unless you're writing a poem. Yeah? What's v'anoichi loyadati? Huh? The sense oh. of You know why God was here? Because there was no anoichi. The anoichi is loyadati. Now, somebody who hears this, if they're coming from a place where their entire life they heard, your eye is the worst thing in the world. In fact, your eye is the source of all problems. Anybody got that message? 
The very fact that you have an opinion, that is the devil. It doesn't even matter what your opinion is. As in Yidd- always the Yiddish, the Yiddish expressions are the best. The Yiddish curses are the best. The Yiddish expressions are the best. There's no abuse like the abuse in Yiddish, right? Right? All your teeth should fall out besides the one that hurts. You know what I mean? Besides in Yiddish, oh, besides Yiddish you can't come up with such a curse. Right? You should be like a candelabra. You hang during the day and you burn at night. Where do you get such? Uh, where do you get such wonderful expressions of love, love and affection? So, in Yiddish, one of these very pedagogical, uh, uh, instructive terms is "ver bistu The people who grew up with Yiddish are laughing. Who are you bchalal to have an opinion? It's not what you say. You, you may say good things. Your, your anoichi doesn't exist. So when this person hears he can't hear it. Because for him, what does nagen hamenagen mean? You're a violin. Be quiet and stay in the closet till I'll take you out for a concert for pictures. Because you're coming from a place of, of deep pain. So self-transcendence really is translated as self-abuse. Okay? That's why, I'll tell you very honestly, people who learn Sifrei Hasidus or Sifrei Muslim, they hear the word Bittl. They do not know what it means. Because they translate it from a place of and the book is just saying the same thing. What does he hear? My whole life I said I have to be myself to my father. <laughs> then to my Rebbe. Then to my principal. Then to the big Rebbe of the community. Yeah? Then to my Shvige, then to my wife. And now, to God. <laughs> it's all the same thing. Then I didn't exist and I won't exist. So without knowing it, what he's feeling is very negative energy. He can't say it to himself because he doesn't want to be deemed a heretic. But every time he sees the word bitl, he doesn't understand what it means. He doesn't understand what it means. Because for him, anoichi loyadati, for Yaakov Avinu, it was a celebration of life. For this pianist, it was the crescendo of success. Till that point, he was playing Little League. He was playing, and the same, by the way, is true in sports. The same is true in exercise. What's called success in exercise when you don't realize you're exercising? Right? If you're sitting, why am I doing this? Because my wife said, if you don't lose 40 pounds, don't come home. It's better than nothing. It's better than, than eating cheesecake, no question. It's better than eating cheesecake and using the treadmill for your suits and towels. But uh, you're not one with the music. You're not one with the energy. Right? You have some of these kids, you know, sports or these things. You get consumed in the process. Whatever, I'm not now talking about the value of it, whether it's music or sports or art, but the point is, and the best example is always from biology, from the body. The best example is from the body. Uh, a Yid once came over to the Lubavitcher Rabbi, so he said, V filterzich. There was an altar Yid, V filterzich, in Yiddish again. V filters it. You don't have a translation in English. What's V filters it? How do you feel yourself? 
So without skipping a hard beat, he says, As mefilt zich is shenish gut. filter zich. As mefilt zich is shenish gut. Why? He said to Shveret Gezot, he quoted his father-in-law, when you feel the limbs of your body, it means you're not perfectly healthy. Think about it. When do you start feeling your pinky? <laughs> when do you start feeling your head? When it hurts. When you have a scratch on your pinky. When you have a black and blue mark on your, on your arm. You feel it. When you have a headache, a splitting headache, you feel your head. What about if you're in perfect health, in perfect condition, and you have a great workout? After that, what do you feel? You feel nothing. Your body is light. Why? Because health means, spiritually speaking, that the body is a conduit for the soul. The more synchronization between the body and the soul, the more health. The more self-conscious the body is, the more it's detached from its own source of life. So you feel it. So you say, no, if you're healthy, you feel yourself. You feel your head. You feel your head. No, 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 no. If you feel your head, your head is not where where it should be. If you feel your feet, your legs, it's not where it should be. You feel your, you don't feel anything, Amachaya. And the less you feel, and when you mamish feel nothing, you're in perfect condition. Relatively speaking to a human being's perfect condition. Why? Because the body is just a conduit for the, for the flow, for the, for the circulation, for the adrenaline, for, for the energy, for the soul. Kol and really, you know, a person who's based Hashem in that in that health condition, you don't feel it. This is physically, but spiritually, psychologically, it's the same thing. The feeling of self is a burden. It means the self is detached from the real self, from the source of self. Now, I can't force this on me. I can't speak and say, don't exist. Because then I exist even more. <laughs> It's like telling people, stop thinking. You ever do that? Stop thinking. Don't think about this. It's almost like in Chumash when you say, we're going to skip this Parsha. Right? And that's the Parsha everybody reads most. It's like when you ban a book and it becomes a bestseller on the black market. You tell somebody, don't think, don't think. They think about it, but they think about it even more. The Kotzke Rebbe said something very poignant. He says, As when you break a taiva, what you did is you made one into two. In other words, not only did you not accomplish anything, it's going to haunt you much more. Because you're not dealing with yourself. So break the taiva. <laughs> you have to understand what's going on and you have to deal with it. It's a It's a brechnisht. All you do is you turn it into two. It haunts you, it bites you even more. He can nagin amenagin when the menagin becomes a nagin. Why? Because in that moment, the self doesn't have to be self-actualized. The pianist is not sitting, oh, finally, my moment of fame. If you're experiencing your moment of fame, it's not your moment of fame. It's your moment of insecurity. (laughs) Enjoy it, but it's not your moment of fame. You're not one with yourself. You're still in the mode where you're looking for the validation. When I'm not here, I'm not looking for validation. As long as the speaker is looking for the validation, for the approval, he's in a golos, he's in an exile. He blocks the energy so the Dvar Hashem can't even come through him because it gets blocked. And those are the moments when he or she ceases to exist that miracles happen through them and people hear things 
that they didn't even expect to say. Well, people always hear things that you don't expect to say, or you don't expect to people hear. But what happens now is things come through that you can't even be cognizant of. You can't. It's a different, it's a whole different level of communication of energy. But you grow into this. You grow into this because I can't force this upon you. Because if I force it upon you, the taiva becomes two. The you becomes even Lose your self-consciousness right now. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> let's lose our self-consciousness. Exactly. Lose it. The more you lose it, the more you have it. Right? The more it the, the, the disappears, the more you have it. Because it becomes even more powerful because it was repressed. It was, it was crushed. It was destroyed. You with me? So who's greater, Yosef or Yehuda? <laughs> who's greater, Yosef or Yehuda? What's greater, Tzemeach or Daimeh? That's, huh? So that's the idea, yeah. That's, that's, that's the evolution here. In today's day and age, in terms of our relationship with God, Yosef is a higher Madrega than Yehuda. There's a hierarchy. The Ruchnius precedes, the Tzemeach precedes the Daimeh. Not that doimim is insignificant. Doimim is very significant. As we said, no long-term relationship will be sustained without obedience, without discipline, without commitment. If you wait for inspiration to do whatever you want to do, if you're not going to wake up in the morning without inspiration, you will probably not wake up in the morning 90% of the time. There is a component of you got to do what you got to do. But it's not just temporal. It's not just in today's age versus the future. It's in the evolution of a person over the course of the exactly. Zaboda. It's exactly. a time factor. Wonderful. It's not just time. It's in terms of every person's individual evolution from a state of the Mishkan to a state of the Beis HaMikdash. Yes? I'm not 100% certain, Yosef. That's good. That everybody in this room, as they hear your words of this Oros about Hanagen Hamanagen, realize it applies to every one of them today and is accessible to them today. Not 24 hours a day, but everybody has places in their life where they are able to open themselves up to that experience. If they believe it could happen to me. I'm not sure if everybody in this room, you know, when they hear Rabbi Jacobson speaking about it, so certainly Rabbi Jacobson experienced I don't know if they have it, but it's available to every one of them. Question? Question? Okay, you want to, should we take a vote? <laughs> Does everybody believe this is, Dr. Suskin says, not everybody. I'm, I said I'm not sure. Right. In other words, it's not, we're not talking here about, uh, the point is musical, ingenious artists. We're talking here in every field, every person in their own life, in so many different areas. Is capable of that kinagin hamanagin. Tefila, right? Yes. Someone wrote about a ten thousand hour rule that the managin is not is nagin after he reaches a level where it's intuitive. Now, how can it be that I'm able to come on to that level when I haven't worked at it for assuming that that predicate is correct? Right. I think the ten thousand hour rule, the way I understand it, is to perfect a skill, whether it's basketball or painting, or piano. So I'm talking about perspe- Right, but here we're not so much talking about skill. You know, the, the technical skill, the only through time, yeah. So that I could have the perfect skill, 
but I'll never lose myself. I'm too afraid to lose myself. Yeah. To lose yourself, you have to have a lot, a lot of trust. A lot of trust in yourself, a lot of trust in God. Also a lot of trust in the people. I'll tell you, I always tell people, a lot, you'll see this when people get up to speak. Their greatest mistake is not what they say. Their greatest mistake is what they look like the four seconds before they start talking. Always. They lose the trust of the audience before they open their mouth. Okay, once they open their mouth, the loss of trust is confirmed. And, and everybody <laughs> understands why their hunch was right. But the trust is not lost when they open their mouth and they say, in this week's parsha, you know, there's a chsam cipher. Uh, that just confirms that uh, he's not going to say anything. But uh, I don't mean some cipher. I mean uh, the one who misunderstood the some cipher. But uh, but it's it's the seconds before. Why? Because there's a certain. It's a very subtle energy. Person gets up and feels confrontation with the audience, or I'm going to prove a point, or I'm going to control them, or I'm going to be good. They already lost. They don't allow a merging of energy. And therefore, there can't be trust. And for, the, for that to happen, there has to be a very deep confidence that they project. And it's so, they're so confident that they, they can completely lose themselves in the process. And people are very sensitive to this energy. They don't even know themselves. But they could see it in the energy, even in the gestures of the person. So it's, already, it's, it's, a, it's a very profound idea. I once heard from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, you know, the former chief rabbi of Britain, Who's a, who's a great? It was a profound, uh, profound man, profound mind. He said something very interesting. Lord Jonathan Sachs, yeah, not to confuse with the Lord. Huh? Yeah, it, it's the British Lord. In, in Britain, you could be a Lord. Huh? The House of Lords. The House of Lords. So I once heard from him. It was just a very profound observation. He said that in 1968, he was a student in Cambridge University. He came to America and he visited 50 Jewish scholars. He was a curious young man. He had a great mind then as well. And uh, he went to visit 50 Jewish personalities from all what we call denominations, from all schools. He got onto a Greyhound bus. Remember those? And for a few months he traveled and he went to interview them. And he described a few of the interesting encounters he had. So I heard from him once that he went to visit the Lubavitcher Rebbe and the appointment was approximately 2.30 a.m. 2.30 a.m. And he was in the room for two hours. And they had a conversation. And uh, so there was one detail of the conversation that was very interesting, that uh, you know, he, was, he was a philosopher, secular trained philosopher. He still is. He's that, that field, him and the rabbinate seemed to be like uh, further than Mars, Mars and Venus. In other words, men and women. <laughs> but... Uh, and at the, end of the, at the end of the conversation, the Rebbe said that, uh, I think you ought to be a rabbi's rabbi. You ought to be a teacher of rabbis. And this, he said, set the course of his life. But he, I heard from him one thing once. He said that uh, he, the conversation touched him very deeply. It really changed the course of his life. He became very, very entrenched in Yiddishkeit. He went to yeshiva. And he ultimately turned around his life because he was, you know, a real British philosopher. And that's where he was going. Lepoyli became a Jewish voice. 
Mm-hmm. So he said that at some point he was reflecting on it and he, he, he couldn't articulate what happened in the room that was, that was moving to him. It was an intelligent conversation, no question. Uh, the Rebbe was quite well versed in the disciplines that he was versed in. And he was a, quite a very, a very intelligent person and a, a scholar. But there was something that he said touched him very deeply. And then he articulated it. And I'm going to quote him, not verbatim, but the concept. He said that uh, he realized that during the entire conversation, the Lubavitcher Rebbe was not present. Now, when we say not present, it means, you know, you're busy texting or you're busy thinking about supper. What he said he was not present is his sense of self was not present. He says most conversations, you're talking to somebody, even if they're good people, they feel that they, they need to reciprocate. They have to prove a point. I want to show you that I'm also intelligent. You'll ask me a question. I want to, I want to flex my muscles, even if for good purposes. I want to enlighten you. But there's, there's you and I. There's I and thou. He said what happened in that room was he felt that the Rebbe had no need to be present. So therefore he actually suspended himself. And he felt that the Rebbe's objective for those two hours was, I quote him, to serve as a mirror for me. Meaning, I should be able to look at him and see me through him. Allow me to see myself in a deeper way. His whole objective was, this meeting is not about me. This meeting is about this young man having the ability to be able to see himself in a new light. All I want to be is a conduit and a channel through which he should be able to experience himself in a deeper way. So of course he'll answer questions and he'll respond, but the objective of it all is to be completely tuned in to the presence, identity, journey, search, aspirations, dilemmas, and ultimate potential of this person. And he says, for a person, for two hours, to be able to become a mirror for somebody else, you have to have a lot of confidence, but you also have to have a lot of selflessness. That's another form of vayihi, kenagen, hamenagen. And that's where unity is created. Now, do you lose yourself in that process? Of course you lose yourself in the process. Is it called loss? Is it called loss of self? It's not called loss of self. You know why? Because you don't need a self. <laughs> that you say if you don't have it, you lost it. When we use the word loss, it's a loss. A loss means you had something and you lost it. Self-actualization is necessary when you have a self that you have to actualize. And when you don't, you get frustrated, you get annoyed, you get upset, you get angry. When myself is one with the truth, self-actualization is not a necessity, not because I hate myself, but because myself became one with my ultimate self, with the ultimate I. The menagin became a nagin, in Avodah Hashem, this is the process of Yosef and Yehuda. There's a stage in history when Semeach is higher than Doiman. Doiman is submission, surrender of self. Semeach, self-growth, self-actualization. Semeach is higher than Doiman. There's a place for Doiman, but Doiman needs the Semeach, receives from Doiman, gets inspiration 
to fuel me even in the bad days. Famous word from the Chernobyler, the Helikar Ibnachim Chernobyler. And Moirva Marta, Chazal say Rashi brings Lahazir, Gdoilim Alaktanim. What does it mean? There's three mitzvahs where the Torah says that adults are obligated to uh, warn the Ketanim to do it. Not to eat blood, not to eat shrotzim, and Tumas Koyen. Lahazir comes from the word Zohar. Zohar, Zohar means shine, shine light. Lahazir Gdoilim Alaktanim means you have days in which, which are Gdoilim, and you have days that are Ketanim. You have days in which you're mature, and you have days when you're a baby. <laughs> you have days when you're an adult, and you have days when you're a crybaby. You have days when you feel empowered, and you have days that you're needy and desperate, and uh, you, you want mommy to just pick you up and pat you on the back and say, you know, it's going to be all right, it's going to be all right. Yeah? Somebody was in Costco, and he sees this guy... Uh, this guy holding a carriage, a carriage, David, David, we're going to be home soon, we're going to be home soon, we're going to be home soon. He says, wow, wow, who's David? This little baby says, no, it's me. So, you know, he's talking to himself, we're going to be home soon. So, Lahazur G'doylem Alaktanim means you have to take light from the days of G'doylem to illuminate the days of K'tanim. The days when you're in the B'china of Doymem, you have to take the light from the days when you're in the B'china of Tzmech and say, yeah, you know, right now this marriage is not blossoming. Let's put it frankly. Right now we're in a crisis. We don't know why we're married to each other. I'm, I'm talking about marriage again. may not be relevant, but uh, I'm talking about marriage. we don't know why we're married. Um, uh, my mother was right. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing this. But you know, 11 kids later, maybe, maybe it's worth to, to experiment another way. What do you do? So you come home, so what are you going to be obnoxious? You're going to be obnoxious. You're going to be a nar- You're not going to come home for three weeks. You have to take the days of gedolim. You have to take avos kluloi sayich. Zacharti lo chesed nuraich lechtech acharei b'midbar beretz loy zrua. And you have to say, you know what? Now you got to push through. Now you got to push through doimim. It's doimim. The tzemeach fuels the doimim. Lahazig doylem alaktanim. Do you need doimim? Of course, but the doimim is mekabel. Yehudas tells Yosef, we need your inspiration. Yosef is yifetoy yifemara. Yosef is gorgeous. Yosef is beautiful. You look at Yosef, ah, mechay. Yosef inspires people to optimal, uh, optimal performance. And optimal inner performance. But the truth is, ah, optimal experience. The truth is, hakal hoyim in offer. Everything grows from the earth. In the Shoirish, in Shoirish, Doimim is much, much deeper. The surrender in Shoirish is Machshavet Chilam. Machshavet Cheshev Ma. It's the Bittl. The way it plays itself out in history may be lower, may be inferior. When everything emerges, including God's Machshavet Chilam, when you become one with one, then automatically, and it's not that because Yosef is crushed. It's not at that moment, Yosef, we don't care about you. Yosef, get out. No, no, no. If so, you can't say the two sticks are one. It went over to Yehuda. It went to Ye- No, once it goes to Yehuda, it encompasses Yosef. It's not abuse. It's not, oh, the tzimeach. cut it down. We don't want you. It's that the you... It's a different type of you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes.
make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.